Welcome to Teeth and Titanium, a podcast about oral surgery, residency, and life. We would like to thank the Canadian Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery for their continued support. All opinions expressed in this podcast by the hosts and their guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the CAOMS. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for surgical decision making. Welcome to Teeth and Titanium. This is episode number 15, our October episode. Oscar, how's it going? I know. I feel like I haven't talked to you in a while. It's been a long time. Uh, we've been super busy, so we haven't been able to record this until late in the month. It's becoming a little more challenging to find a time for us to record these these days. It used to be so much easier. Well, it's funny because even though you were busy with residency, you weren't busy with life, right? That yeah. was your only job, residency. So you could always find free time. And then we were just really adjusting around my schedule until you got sick and then we couldn't do anything. Yeah. Um, but now you're home and you have a baby, you have work, you have university responsibilities. It's a lot busier and it's a lot harder to coordinate. Yeah. And you realize once you have like real life stuff, it's way busier than residency or fellowship. Like the real life stuff is so much more exhausting and time consuming. A hundred percent. And it's just around the clock all the time, especially because, you know, little guy Lennox now he's 13 months and he's starting to walk or no, he is walking now. He's fully walking. So he's for sure walking because I just saw him crawl across there and then <laughs> get up and then start pushing something. Yeah. So he's walking now. So every parent knows once they become mobile, your life changes. You have to constantly watch them. It's a, it's a disaster. Before we jump into the episode, you know, we're recording this also a certain bit of a time limit or a time frame because, you know, I mentioned to you that I have to go play tennis after this. And you commented, what was the name you called me again? I called you Roger Nadal. I'm like, who's this guy trying to be? Yeah, so I pur- I purposely didn't respond to you because I wanted to call you on the podcast because you're combining Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. That was done on purpose. Oh, that was done on purpose. Okay. <laughs> I'm a huge tennis fan. Okay. I'm, like, I'm just trying to make money. I'm like, who do you think you are, man? I'm like, this guy doesn't know anything about tennis. <laughs> yeah, like, no, what no, a dope. No. Roger Nadal. If it's a sport, I watch it. Doesn't yeah. matter what it I is. I would have been shocked if you didn't know, especially because yeah. it's so famous. Yeah, it's like nine degrees here. My brother's dying to play. I don't know why I signed up for this. It's, it's going to be an absolute mess. Okay, let's be clear. It's nine degrees, but it feels like one. Oh, my God. I'm going to be wearing a winter jacket running up and down the court. The other thing we wanted to get to was, you know, last episode, we had Miller Smith on the podcast. Great episode. We really enjoyed it. We were laughing the whole time. Yeah, he was an awesome interview. But afterwards, you know, there was some feedback that we got. Probably the most feedback we've ever received about a single episode or a single guest. We had people uh, saying they love the guest. We had people calling out the guest. We kind of realized ourselves that maybe we messed up something involving yeah, the guest. Yeah, we mishandled it a bit. Yep. A little bit, yeah. So without further ado, I was in Nashville and Miller was there, obviously. So I reached out to him and we recorded a little bit of a, a mini Nashville segment. So why don't we all listen to that now? All right, I'm here live in Nashville for the joint CMS-AMS meeting. And I have here president of the CMS, Miller-Smith. Miller, how's it going? We're, we're back talking again. We are back talking again. It's going amazing. We made it through a solid 10 hours of nonstop executive meetings. Your first one. Yeah, my first rodeo. It was, uh, it was long, but it was good. It was good to kind of hear about what's going on in the rest of the country and get updates from each of the members. So uh, yeah, definitely worthwhile and kind of nice to have it in person. Obviously, it was a little bit hybrid. We had some members online, but it was nice to see some people in person. And I just find it's easier to get things done that way. And you did great. Super happy to have you on board. Appreciate that. And I didn't have to read your notes this time. I, you know, speaking with my own words, but uh, 
The reason we're having you back on is a couple things. Uh, I, I had something I wanted to apologize uh, to you about, and I think you had a message you wanted to say. The first thing I wanted to say was, you know, when Oscar and I started this, when whenever we'd have a guest on, we were kind of adamant that, oh, we're not going to do these introductions that everyone does, you know, at conferences or webinars. You know, they're just like, oh, this person went to this school and they're kind of long winded. And, you know, I always wondered, do people really care about that stuff? But that's why on our podcast, we kind of just give like a brief summary. But after speaking to you, I realized that now that our listenership has grown, uh, we actually talked about the executive meeting. We're at almost 400 listeners per episode now. Everyone we invite on the podcast is someone that I know, usually someone that Oscar knows, but that doesn't mean everyone listening knows. So we ran into this problem where we might be talking to a great guest, for example, like yourself, and someone that's never met you has no idea who you are or what gives you kind of the clout or the experience to even talk about anything you're talking about. So we've actually changed our policy. You know, you had a little bit of an influence on the podcast, we'd say, and we're probably going to do not still not super formal introductions, but more of an introduction for guests that we have, just so it kind of brings everyone up to speed. So I wanted to give you a chance, actually, you know, after the fact, unfortunately, to give a little bit of an introduction on yourself, kind of tell about where you train, you know, what fellowship you did and, and kind of what you're up to now. Thanks, Wendell. Yeah, I just expected that everyone knew who I was. So I apologize. <laughs> Essentially, I am born and raised Calgarian. There's very few of us. I did my dental school up in Edmonton, did a GPR down in San Antonio, went over out east to Michigan and did my formal oral surgery training out there, received my MD, and then went across the pond to the UK and did a head, neck, and craniofacial fellowship in Glasgow, Scotland. And then I thereafter returned, joined a group practice in Calgary, and that's, that's pretty much the history. Now you have, it's a small world, obviously, in oral surgery in Canada specifically, but I think you remember you mentioning that at Michigan, you, you had a bunch of other Canadians kind of around you. I think you mentioned in your interview that Sean Edwards was your chief resident when you were a junior resident, I think Correct. you said. Yep. And then Nick McCool from McGill was one year below you. Correct. Chris Lee from Toronto was two years below you. Correct. Were there yeah. any other Canadians that were kind of in your vicinity? Yeah, we had uh, Simon Tushan, who joined the program a little bit late because his program shut down. So he did graduate a year before me. He's uh, originally from Montreal. At one point, we actually had nine out of our 18 residents were all Canadian. So <laughs> it had a really, really strong Canadian contingent, for sure. Yeah, I remember when I went there for an externship, they were like, oh, another Canadian, like we have so many Canadians. But then because of visa issues and things like that, they, they, they changed the policy, which was kind of annoying. They wouldn't accept Canadians anymore, but definitely a huge, strong contingent of Canadians. I mean, you mentioned Canadians, you mentioned Montreal. That kind of brings us to the next topic we want to talk about. Just before you get to that, the main reason that they stopped letting us go down to Michigan was mostly Nick McCool. I was, I was going to say, was it Nick McCool? Yeah, probably, probably Nick McCool. Yeah, so we had some feedback from Montreal. We had a, a loyal listener kind of write to us immediately. And you had asked me, does Dr. Elakim even listen to the podcast. And, you know, he's one of our most loyal listeners. Just to give you some perspective, the podcast came out at 6 a.m. on a Saturday. And by 1 p.m., he already was texting me about the episode. So I shared some of his messages with you, and I think you just wanted to comment on it. I am very apologetic that I neglected to include Michelle El-Hakim in the names that I listed off as being some of the initial starters of the maxillofacial oncology and surgical reconstruction aspect of things within Canada. 
Without a doubt, I want to give a shout out to Michel El-Hakim, the true godfather of Moors. He practices full scope. I was just as surprised as you were that he was actually a listener, but you know what? Maybe he can actually get on and uh, say a few things to everyone across the country and inspire them to do great things like Michelle has. Yeah, so he, he's definitely a loyal listener. He's, gonna, he's already slated to be one of the guests in 2022. And we have a great topic lined up for him, you know, related to pathology and oncology. As you mentioned, a lot of people that listen to the show kind of know that McGill, where I train, you know, they do full flap reconstruction, head and neck oncology, neck dissections, resections, all that kind of stuff. And that's started with Dr. Elakim and then also Dr. Nick McCool, who already mentioned, came over. And now we were able to two-team the surgeries, which is really great because you can do everything in one service and feel like you're learning all aspects of the surgery. But he had kind of reached out and just said, oh, you know, they're talking about Moore's. I was part of Moore's. He's like, I started a Moore's program at McGill. He's like, yeah, a little bit of a chirp. He said, I'm still waiting for the second Moore's program in Canada to develop. So shots fired by Dr. Lakeem, but in a friendly way, as he normally would. 100%. I very much respect Michelle, and uh, we can soon shot, uh, fire some shots back at him for sure. Awesome. So that concludes our, our little update from Nashville. Miller, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, let's go to uh, a honky-tonk bar. All right, Oscar. So all the listenership got to hear right there. Let's break this down. So first off, we had our apology to Miller, and that was regarding introductions and how we're going to handle introductions going forward. Did you kind of get the same feedback, the same vibe that maybe we do need to do a little bit better job introducing our guests? Yeah, because even if we know their, like we talked about, we know their credentials and or maybe we know them more personally and, and some other future guests we have, it's not fair to the listener who maybe has not heard of this person or who doesn't have the relationship we should showcase how important these people that we're interviewing are. Yeah. So that's something that we've learned. I mean, we really started off over a year ago now. We didn't want to have, you know, those formal kind of cookie cutter intros. But I think there's a, a happy medium where we can provide that information, but also maybe either delve a little bit deeper or, or, or make it a little bit more lighthearted. Yep, I agree. It also made me realize that, you know, we're over a year into this. We actually have new listeners joining recently. Now, a lot of them... And what we advise is to go back to the beginning and listen from the first episode and kind of catch up. And that's what most people are doing. I've had a lot of residents and uh, faculty reach out to me saying they just started listening now. So they're catching up on episodes, which is kind of funny because they're hearing about our lives like a year ago <laughs> compared to what it is right now. Yeah, they're PVRing everything. Yeah, exactly. They're PVRing it. But it made me realize that, you know, for a new listener that, for example, tunes in today or recently, they might not know who we are. I mean, we do a good job talking about our lives and who we are. But I thought just, you know, one time... Maybe we do like a, a more formal introduction about ourselves. Are you that trying to show up again? Well, you know, I, I might have more to say than you. <laughs> but um, we can give one formal introduction about ourselves and then we don't have to do it ever again kind of thing. And this, and this will count as like our intro. And then I think again, a year from now, we, you're going to ask me to do this again to show up again. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, make it, we'll make it an annual tradition. So I'll start. You know, my name is Wendell Mascarenas. I'm born and raised in Toronto. I went to York for my undergrad where I did biology. Then I moved to Western, where I did my dental school, did my GPR there. That's in London, Ontario, just about two hours west of Toronto. Then I got into oral surgery at McGill, which is in Montreal, Quebec. It was a six-year program, so uh, combined MD-OMFS. I finished my residency there, and then I moved to Charlotte, which is in North Carolina in the U.S., where I did a one-year fellowship in mostly orthognathic and then some facial trauma TMJ. And then I moved back to Toronto, so I'm finally home. I work in Brampton, which is about 30 minutes to an hour outside of Toronto, depending on the traffic. I work in private practice there. 
And then I do one day a week downtown at Mount Sinai with the faculty. That's where I teach oral surgery residents. I run a clinic there at the hospital. And then in the afternoon, I go across the street to the faculty where I meet up with Fritz Keenley, Marco Caminiti for the surgical orthodontic course, which you've talked about before because you went through the program, obviously, but I wasn't really aware of as much in detail as what it is. But basically, oral surgery residents, orthodontic residents, we have a clinic there. We see people that need jaw surgery. And we treatment plan with the residents, both ortho and oral surgery. We present cases. There's a didactic potent, a, a one-hour lecture each week. And that's where you get a lot of jaw surgery patients from. Dr. Caminiti has already given me six patients. So starting in January, yeah, it's a great program. He has tons of patients. Starting in January, I have one OR a month at Mount Sinai with the residents. And I take call at Mount Sinai. And um, Already my first three hours are full because Dr. Caminiti had some extra patients that he, he gave to me from that faculty. So that's been great. And the last component is I take call in the William Osler system, which is Brampton Civic Hospital and Etobicoke General Hospital. I take call there because that's the community hospital that I operate out of two times a month. So that's kind of a summary of who I am. You know, we mentioned CT read, MR read. That's all this research stuff that I've done. But I mean, we talk about that too much already, I think. We don't need to talk about that. Was this a short intro or was this like a live story? No, I told you this has to be a, a comprehensive... <laughs> introduction on who we are so the, so the listener really knows us the last thing i should mention before i get murdered you're married and i'm married i'm married i'm married probably shouldn't have left that for the end no but, no uh, that's, you should have started with that so i go second so i get to make up for that yeah so i'm married i've been married for four and a half years my wife's name is bianca and we have a 13 month year old son named lennox so that honestly, that was pretty detailed. Like I think you were just making up for the, the terrible intro we did on Miller Smith last week. So you're like, <laughs> I'm going to touch on every point of my entire life that you just did. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so mine's probably a little bit shorter and a little bit more boring compared to yours. I think you've accomplished a lot. My name's Oscar Dalmail. I'm also born and raised in Toronto. I did undergrad also at York. Mine was kinesiology though. I did dental school at UFT. I then did a one-year GPR at Sunnybrook. I followed that by UFT oral surgery. So I'm not, I didn't travel as far as you did. Mine was more kind of centered around Toronto. Right now, I went into do private practice at Crescent Oral Surgery. So I'm at Crescent Oral Surgery. It's one of the biggest practice, if not the biggest practice in Canada, or at least Ontario. We have three practices, one in Richmond Hill, one in Aurora, one in Scarborough. There's nine surgeons that operate there. They're, they've been amazing to me. They've been really, really good. So my mine is more private practice based and they have been great. The practice itself is not necessarily private practice based because we have Dr. Rittenberg who operates out of there and he's one of the partners and he is the head of Mount Sinai Hospital for oral surgery. We have Dr. Caminiti who also comes once a week roughly and we've talked about him enough. We know he's the head of our program at UFT. Supercon, we have Dr. Renish who also has hospital appointment, Dr. Peter Julius who has a hospital appointment and Dr. Amir Musafar and Dr. Christopher Lee who both have or both have hospital appointments. So it's a well-rounded practice in that sense. Get to operate with them but once a week in the OR. So still using our skills that way. We don't take any hospital call currently, take clinic call for us. We rotate every one in nine, one in eight because we have so many surgeons. So it works out pretty well. That's pretty much my professional standpoint. From personal, kind of like you said, I don't want to miss out. I've been married for actually two months. Uh, <laughs> so it's pretty recent that I've been married. Her name's Lexi. She's awesome. She puts up with my craziness. We don't have a kid yet. That's my fault because Lexi will probably start bothering me soon, but <laughs> I'm putting the brakes on that. Uh, so that's so that's my intro in that sense. And you're a homeowner. And I'm a homeowner. Yes. Yeah. And yes. we're talking to you about you being a homeowner soon too. Hopefully. I mean, the market's crazy. I live in an apartment right now in Etobicoke. For those in Toronto, they'll know where that is. And then you live kind of, what's your region called? Like uptown or? I would say it's midtown. Midtown. Okay. So you live midtown Toronto. So closer to downtown than me. But, but a, a nice spot, a nice location you're in. 
Yeah, definitely very happy. And I actually live pretty close to your sister. Yeah, right down the street from my sister, like 10 minutes from my parents. So it's been, it's been pretty nice. Awesome. Okay, so now we've given full intros on ourselves. We, we don't need to ever do that again, hopefully. But now everyone kind of gets to know us better. They have kind of a full, complete picture. Because I'm always shocked whenever we have guests and now, you know, they, we talk to them. I'm always shocked about, oh, where they actually grew up or where they went to undergrad. Like, you don't realize all the connections. Like, we went to undergrad at the same time, but we never met. No. So it's just weird how we we're both at York and you, you kind of make those connections. The other thing that Miller mentioned now, let's get to part two. And the real reason we filmed the apology was mostly because Miller, you know, got a lot of hate mail. I don't want to say hate mail, but, you know, <laughs> some some negative feedback from from <laughs> Michelle Alakim in Montreal, who is a loyal listener, huge, huge fan of the show, hilarious guy, great staff, former mentor of mine, and someone I still just, you know, text or we talk. You know what he loves, actually, Oscar? You'll love this. He is obsessed with real estate. Oh, I already love him. But he loves corporate real estate, like not uh, residential. Doesn't matter. I just love looking it up. <laughs> not even going to buy anything. I just look it up every day. He, you would love this guy. He loves corporate real estate. He loves money investing. We, we used to talk about that all the time. And But what he also loves is head and neck oncology because, you know, he kind of pioneered that in Canada and started at McGill. And that's why he had some feedback being like, you know, Miller, you didn't mention me. And I'm, you know, founding member of the group. I have the only Morris program. So Miller, to his credit, as soon as I mentioned, he owned up immediately. He's like, oh, crap, I forgot. And actually, Miller... I was planning on, you know, bringing it up in Nashville, but Miller reached out to me and said, hey, when we're in Nashville, let's record something. I've actually pre-recorded something I can send to you or we can record something in Nashville because I, I don't want to set the record straight. Yeah. And I want to apologize to Michelle. So huge props to, uh, to Miller for owning up to that and to Michelle for sending in some feedback. And look, so you send in feedback to the show. We acknowledge it. We remedy it. We repaired a relationship. Those two were never going to speak again. It was over. It was it was done. And Morris is going to die in Canada. Say- I wouldn't even say it was Miller's mistake. It's just like sometimes when you're recording, you forget things, right? Like you, you get in, caught up in the moment and you just completely forget. We do it all the time. We, we listen back to the episodes before we publish them. And every time I'm like, man, wish I'd said that or I forgot that or I could have worded that. But that's the thing about doing a live podcast episode just off the cuff without a script is we're going to forget some things. Yep. It's going to happen. Just like the OKC conversation we had. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah. So let's bring up that. So then... This is the next thing I want to bring up is in Nashville, I'm meeting up with tons of people. You know, there's a small group of Canadians that came, but the ones that came, I knew or I got to meet more, got to talk to them. And one of the consistent themes that has started to develop on our show as we get more and more popular, which is, you know, great for us and we love it. You know, people are starting to say, hey, when am I getting the call to come on the show? We have a bunch of loyal listeners that have, have made more than passive aggressive comments. We have, well, Michelle Akeem wants to come on the show, but he, he hasn't been aggressive about it. He just said, let me know. And I told him we want him on the show, hopefully next year. But we have, for example, Brian Rittenberg. And again, you, we're talking about people with really good credentials here. Like that oh, are asking. yeah. It's They're thinking like, to themselves, like, what do I have to do to get on yeah, the show? Yeah, it's not like, like these Joe Blows are saying, hey, when are we coming <laughs> on the show? Like, these are awesome surgeons where if they're giving their resume, it's a 10-minute resume. And we're like, well, we'll see when there's a spot. Yeah. So, you know, you got Brian Ritterberg dying to come on the show. We want to have him on. You got Marco Caminiti that's making, you know, comments about, oh, I'm not qualified enough to be on this show. And, you know, Oscar doesn't even mention my 5FU research when he talks about OKCs. <laughs> and I love him. So we got to get him on. And he definitely deserves to be on this show. Yeah. So he's someone we have to get on. And then when I was down in Nashville, a lot of people, both in the Canadian society and the American Society have mentioned to me they'd love to come on. Great guests that we could have in the future. For example, I heard, you know, through the grapevine that Brian Bell was like, 
why haven't I been invited on this podcast? What's going on? So ironically, we wanted to record in Nashville a live episode with Brian Farrell. That was always our plan. And uh, I scheduled with him and, you know, I met up with him and he was like, oh, Brian Bell is here and he's mad that he hasn't been on the show. So we're going to do a joint episode together with you. And I was like, listen, the problem here is you guys are both quality guests. We're diluting our show by having you both at the same time. We're actually doing a disservice to the listeners. Yeah, they're going to get half of each. So they really deserve their own episode each. That's what I told them. As we're getting closer to the time, I'm getting more and more text messages saying, we're doing it, the two of us. It's going to be both of us. Brian wants to be on the show. Anyways, you and I are coordinated. We got everything set up for recording. I get down there. I guess everyone was celebrating at the bar a little bit early because I got there at, what was it, 5 p.m.? And let, We won't go into details, but let's just say the conditions of the group and the guests in particular meant we had to delay our recording. <laughs> meant we had to delay our recording. It was not, yeah. they were not fit to record is, is how, as how we'll put it that way. So optimal performance would not have been there. Yeah, exactly. We would have done them a disservice if we, if we put the microphone on them. Let's just put it that way. So we'll get them on eventually though. A lot of good guests that we want to get on and line them up, but uh, we're not going anywhere. So that, that's really good. We want more guests. And as we always say, if you want to be a guest or you know someone that would be a good guest, reach out to us, teethandtitaniumomfs at gmail.com. That's really the best way to coordinate. It's the best way to coordinate because we have, you know, a Google Doc, for example, we keep things kind of, we kept, keep notes of who, who's come on, who needs to come on, stuff like that. And it's just impossible to keep track at this point because there's so many people. So reach out to us and we'll try and make something happen in the future. So that concludes our update. It was a big update. Lots of apologies, lots of updates. But now we can finally jump into current events. All right, Oscar. So for current events, the first thing I want to talk about is, you know, we have the CAOMS annual general meeting. As you know, I'm now the membership chair. So anyone listening to this episode, if you're not uh, an active member or a resident member, I didn't say that in my intro, but I knew it was coming up. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't want my intro to be 20 minutes long and yours to be two minutes. You know, it would have looked bad. Yeah. So as membership chair, you know, if, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you're not an active member of the CAOMS or you're a resident and you're not a free member, please go. Please go register. Please go sign up. We're trying to increase membership. You know, I'm going to call you out probably on the podcast eventually for not being a member. If you're not one, you know, in Game of, you've seen Game of Thrones, you know, when she walks down King's Landing and they do shame and they ring the bell. Yeah. So I've seen on podcasts where they'll do that. So what we would do is we would just read one name at a time that isn't a member and then ring the bell and say shame. Now, realistically, we'll never, we, we, we can never actually do this, but it, w- it would be hilarious as an idea. But yeah, for privacy reasons, you probably couldn't, but that would actually be hilarious. Privacy reasons. And also we don't, we don't want to alienate our, our non-members or members. That would probably get our memberships up quite high, quite quickly. It would, but you want to bring people in the right way. Obviously you don't want to guilt trip them or shame them, but that would be pretty funny. So yeah, definitely sign up, definitely join and you know, we'll talk about in future episodes, kind of what our goals are and maybe what new programs we're going to be rolling out. This will be a great medium to talk about that as well, because we have a lot of members and non-members that listen, and we appreciate them both. One hilarious thing at the annual general meeting is, you know, Miller and Tony Shahadi gave us props for the podcast and how it's, you know, brought the community together and we have a good listenership and it's really, really been great from a communications and marketing point of view. And then Miller says, and one, one shout out I need to give is, you know, I want to make sure, you know, Wendell's presenting here and, and we're thanking him, but I also want to make sure I, I give a shout out to Oscar because Oscar's also, you know, co-host of the podcast and, and works hard on it every month. And then he goes, but when I look at the attendance list here at the annual general meeting, I notice Oscar's not here. So I'm going to retract my shout out and forget <laughs> that guy. 
you know what? That's a perfect comment. And, and it, I can picture him saying it, which makes me laugh even more. <laughs> yeah. You got like a shout out, but then you got called out hard. And like, that's a completely valid call out. Oh yeah. Shame on you for not being yeah, there. Yeah. A hundred percent. So that was pretty funny. The main thing from the annual general meeting that they want to tell people about is Iceland, Reykjavik next year, July 17th to July 21st. It's the best time to go to Iceland. We got to go to Iceland. Oscar, are you coming? So it's funny. I've been to it already and it is the best time because I pretty much went that exact week. Wait, you've been I, to Iceland? I've been to Iceland, yeah. Oh, I thought you never went. I remember we were coordinating a trip together to Iceland, but it fell through. I didn't realize you actually went. Yeah, when we graduated, when, like the year we graduated, Lex and I went uh, for five days or four days, something like that. Um, okay, I mean, was, are, you, are you coming I, again? It's and honestly, I was just going to say, it's amazing. Who's ever been will tell you, I can go back to Iceland every year. Like, it's such a wow. cool country. So, yes, yes, I'm definitely going. Nice, nice. Yeah, I booked off call. I booked off or I booked off everything. I booked off work. So, you're set. I'm set. I'm going for sure. I've always wanted to go to Iceland. Are you, are you already going with Bianca? No, I want Bianca and Lennox to come. Um, it's make, like a perfect place to take a family. So, that's one of the questions they asked on the meeting was, is it a good place for a family trip? So, you can comment on that. A hundred percent. I would say for sure. Like everything's so easy. Let's say you're like, you're in the meeting, right? And she wants to drive around. There's so many close things that she can go see and that it's not like you're hiking 10 kilometers to like you park your car, you walk down the street, there's a beautiful waterfall. Wow. Amazing. So perfect family trip, I would say. Yeah. Kind of like a Banff, but on a different level. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good comparison. Yeah. So I want to bring the family. It'd be fun family trip. And then they get to meet everyone else at the meeting and stuff like that. So Definitely, we both want to be there. So you guys uh, should all book it off right now, July 17th to 21st, Iceland next year at the Canadian meeting. It's going to be awesome. Next thing we wanted to talk about was the Nashville Amos meeting. It was a lot of fun. Obviously, I mentioned we already met some Canadians down there. Now, Shameless Plug is coming up, but this is a, this is a valid Shameless Plug. I presented MR Reed during the team day section. Your shameless Plugs are valid, so don't feel bad about them. Most of them, but you're going you're gonna to laugh because later on... Oh, I'm going to talk about Laval, and you're, and you're going to laugh about the whole Shameless Plug line. But I presented MR Reed. And I got notified afterwards that one first place prize for my presentation on Emma Reed. And that means when I presented CT Reed at Amos, I got first place. When I presented Emma Reed at Amos, I got first place. It's just the Canadians that don't value it. Yeah, I presented the Canadian meeting and no, no love. Well, the no love was from the Amos president. Wasn't I know, it? But, it's, <laughs> but, but yeah, but I didn't win any Canadian awards either. That's because I think he swayed the room so much. Yeah, he, he was so chance. convincing. <laughs> It was so convincing. I never had a chance. No, I mean, for all the residents doing research, you don't do it because you want to win these awards. You do it because you're passionate about the project or you have a master's requirement or you just want to, you know, get something published. You know, there are multiple reasons, but I won't lie. I mean, I'm human. It does feel good to get some validation and some appreciation back of Americans, you know, people that don't know me saying, listen, we just met you. We we saw your presentation and we think this is really good. Is that why you're wearing a medal right now? (laughs) (laughs) I no, wish they honestly, a that is that is very impressive that's amazing man yeah and i mean speaking of awards we got to give a shout out one of the toughest awards to win so when i say i won first place i won first place only in my section like the tmj section but there's awards for residents like for overall like out of everyone that ever did research as a resident like the resident research award we got to give a huge shout out here christopher ward he's a chief resident of uft he's one of the two people that won that award which wow I know it's. He didn't, it's I didn't a, even know, and I'm a U of T grad, and he was my junior resident. I didn't know yeah. that. I so saw him like two weeks ago. He didn't even mention it. Oh, he's, he's, too, he's probably too humble to mention yeah. it. 
but we need to publicize on this podcast because for a Canadian resident to win that award is like almost unheard of. That is and very impressive. He got called up at the at the big opening gala. He got called up. He went up to the stage. It was awesome. Like it was like you felt really proud that like a Canadian was up there winning and an award. And I feel award. proud as a U of T grad. And I feel proud as he was my junior. I was his chief resident. I feel proud. That's yeah. awesome. So great work by him. Huge, huge award that he won. Like cannot emphasize enough. That's a big deal. Uh, Reginald Gooday, a staff at uh, Dalhousie, also was part of a team of staff that did some research projects and they won an award for like their group research paper. So it's another Canadian that got recognized. So it was nice. It was, it was good to see some Canadians up there getting recognized. And that's what we want to do. We want to go down to the annual meeting for Amos. We want to present our research. And I will say a lot of U of T, you know, former residents and current residents had papers or posters or abstracts. Like it's pretty solid, like U of T representation. And you know what's pretty impressive, I will say, like not just U of T, but Canada in general, like we have so many less oral surgeons. And to yeah. take these awards home with, with such a smaller population of oral surgeons is, is even more impressive. Yeah. So huge shout out to everyone that presented or was involved in everyone that came down. One of the amazing things about the podcast, Oscar, is we always ask for feedback. And one uh, loyal listener we have from Alberta, Kevin Robertson, I had met him before, but I had no idea he listened to the podcast. He's an oral surgeon out in Calgary, a solo practitioner. And he emailed out saying, hey, I listened to the podcast and I heard you're going to be in Nashville. I'm going down too. Oh, nice. So he's like, are you going to be at the Canadian event? We should meet up. So I said, yeah, absolutely going to be there. So I caught up with him. We hung out uh, the whole week while we were in Nashville. I'm going out and stuff like that. And super nice guy. And it just goes to show, like, you know, we, we constantly mention each week, reach out to us or we're doing this. But when people reach out, we really appreciate it. And it's fun to meet more listeners. He listens to every single episode and he really enjoys I it. I met he him says. and I already like him just because of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the fact that you guys hung out the whole week, that's great. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So always, always nice when our, our listeners uh, reach out. Next thing I want to bring up is U of T interviews. So interviews for the program to get in as a resident. Those happened recently in October. October is the big interview month. Like all the programs interview, you remember, you have to go around doing all the interviews and things like that. Really, really tough. I mean, the applicant pool is just getting crazy tougher, strong. crazy oh. strong. I think Marco said, you know, like 70-ish people applied. It's whittled down to 10 that interview for two spots at U of T. At McGill, it's usually 10 people interview for one spot. At U of T, interviewing 10 people for two spots. Later on, you'll do an interview maybe for an internship position. Reading the resumes, you're like, these, all these people are amazing. But you're like, okay, maybe resumes, you know, kind of hype up people. Then you do the actual interviews, the oral interviews, and you're like, I like these people. I, I would be happy for these people to be a resident. And it's hard because you, you're... Not like you're picking their fate, but you are a part of their fate, right? You're contributing to it. Yeah, yeah we 100%. had to submit uh, grades for each interview. And then they collaborate, they tie the grades, they, they take all these factors in, resume, academics, all these different things. And they come up with like a, a final score or something like that, or, you know, to offer you either a position or wait list or internship. So it's a mathematical process. But yeah, I, I, I feel so guilty doing it. I hate it because you just feel so bad because that's either the 10 people you know, like eight of them, you're like, you are so qualified and you deserve to be an oral surgeon. And I know that of the eight, six of you are not going to get in to at least a U of T. Hopefully they'll get in other places, but. Uh, like, I'm not envious of that role that you have now, because most of us had it as a chief resident. You kind of take part in their interview process. I haven't, so I haven't done it for three years, but now that you're more of a U of T person than I am, you had a role in it this year. Like that is a hard thing to be part of because you do, you feel bad for these people that you're like, wow, you're extremely qualified and you deserve a spot but I don't think you're going to get it at this program, at least. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, best of luck to all the applicants. One thing I did want to mention, though, is that reference letter format. We need to change the way reference letters work for these applications. It's getting ludicrous. So 
everyone, you know, submits two or three reference letters. You're reading them. If you got a reference letter from, let's say, a surgeon at a certain program and someone else did, they're almost identical. It's copy paste. They might modify one line or two. It's becoming stupid. All, and all these reference letters from all these people say the nicest things ever. And they're all like, you know, this is the greatest applicant ever. I would not hesitate to take them. And occasionally I have seen where you will get someone that's like, we'll put like, I don't really know this person that well. Or I, do not take this person. Like I have seen that once where they like just hammer oh, the person. I've never seen that. It wasn't this year. It was, it was in a different wow. time. Wow. They had an application. The person just got destroyed. Like, but how bad did you misread asking that person for a reference? Also the, also, the person shouldn't have accepted being a reference if they thought the person was that bad. Yeah. So that was one thing. And yeah, so I think we need to get rid of these reference other formats. And it needs to be one page. And all it is is this. Rank the resident 1 to 10 in the following four categories and give an overall recommendation one to 10. And that's it. Just four numbers and then an overall number because I don't need to read these flowing paragraphs on everything they did and all that stuff when you're gonna copy paste it for everyone else or it gives me no context. All I wanna know is you think this person's a seven of 10, nine of 10, 10 of 10, one out of 10. Like where do you actually put this? Cause your name's on the line. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Especially if let's say your, your resident is just like an over the top. You're like, well, I've never seen a resident like this. So you mm-hmm. can not just put the tens and keep, that would signify that, but you can put a blurb them saying, yeah, this comments. person needs something extra. Like this yeah. is a special person. Handwritten comments at the bottom. So people can keep it short and sweet. I would love for any kind of program directors or people that are involved with the programs in Canada or the U S to reach out to us to explain if there's a negative side to this. I don't see a negative side and I'm sure they're just as tired of reading these reference letters. So reach out to us and let us know, is that possible to just kind of change up this format? Because it's getting kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And especially with that many people applying, there's going to be overlap. Yeah, exactly. Oscar, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about is at the Amos meeting and actually, you know, the Canadian meeting, any conference you've been to, you know how they have the exhibition hall where they have like the vendors that set up booths and things like that. Every single speech, you know, the, the leaders of the conference will always say, please, you know, go to the exhibition hall, spend time with our sponsors, like talk to them. And yeah, you got to make it worth their time. You have to make it worth their time because they are the only reason we have an annual meeting. Without their sponsorship, we'd either have no, we're not having one or everyone would have to pay like, you know, five times as much, yep. 10 times as much. I don't know what the math would be, but a lot more. So they always say, go visit the exhibit hall. And I always would just to kind of see what's the new technology, see what people are offering. But for the most part, it was a superficial glance. Nothing really that I, I knew about. Yep. Totally changed now that I'm working in private practice, especially, you know, someone looking at ownership in the future. For sure. You realize, man, we need this type of instrument. I need yeah. that. I need two of those. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> especially the things you know you want to buy. Like, for example, right now, I'm in the process of purchasing like a digital x-ray machine. So digital pans, that type of stuff. Yeah. And you realize this is the perfect time. You go to the exhibit hall, you see the seven vendors selling one. You go one at a time. You compare the features, the prices, get some brochures. Like it's amazing. Like all the information you need is, is one-stop shop. And also there's some promos always at these events. Like they'll say like, you know, for instruments, buy two, get one free, or here's a conference only discount and things like that. So I actually really enjoyed the exhibit hall this time, just kind of cruising around and shopping around. Next time you're not even going to the meeting, you're just going to go to the exhibit hall. (laughs) (laughs) It's like going shopping for your practice and browsing around. So I really enjoyed it. And I highly encourage people, even if you're not looking to buy anything, just go visit the exhibit hall, spend an hour there, say hi to some people, makes them feel valued, makes them want to support the, the conference. And we really depend on their sponsorship and their funding. So that, that was really fun. The other thing we wanted to talk about is we're starting to realize, you know, we have, we're having friend groups that are kind of in different phases of life. For sure. And you and I, well, now that you're finally married after like 25 years of dating or whatever it was, 
I know it's uh, crazy. Don't give her more ammunition. Well, you're getting closer. You're getting closer to the phase of life because I feel like I've been catapulted into different phases. You know, you don't realize until you start looking back at how easy the previous phases were. But oh, just, and you don't miss it until you're in the new one because you're like you have so much more responsibility in the current one. Yeah. So I don't miss dating, for example. No. But the idea of I just do whatever I want all day, except sometimes I'm going out on dates with a person I like. is like just your life was completely your own. Life was completely your own. And then you get engaged, you get married. Now, obviously, you know, love having a kid. But then I don't listen, like for, uh, this is the example I always tell people that aren't parents or people that are parents because they can relate is I haven't like driven a car with my family and like listened to music in a year. You mean adult music? Sorry, adult music. Yeah. It's (laughs) nonstop. Yeah, Baby Shark. (laughs) Wheels on the bus. Yeah. I've listened to so many of this baby music all the time. You just, you don't get any opportunity to listen. So when I'm driving to work these days, I drive to work. I listen to podcasts, obviously. But there was one time where I was going to a wedding with my wife and we had a babysitter for Lennox. And we're driving the wedding and we're just like, look at each other. Like, we can listen to any music we want. Blaring music. We're blaring music, we're <laughs> blasting music, you're playing house music, hip hop, just like whatever you want to listen to. It was just such a foreign feeling. <laughs> you get pulled over, cops are like, what's going on here? This is too crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, that's you, awesome. So you and I now are like closing phase of life, but we both have friends that are either some are still single, some are dating, some are married, some have more kids, some have less kids. It's just interesting to see where p- different people are in, in different phases of life. But the biggest thing that hit me is our friends from undergrad dental school. We have like, you know, a lot of mutual friends, a lot of close friends. I became close friends with a lot of your good friends from U of T. Yep. A lot. And, and, and all my friends from dental school, what I realized when I went to this wedding is everyone that didn't specialize like us, they're eight years into practice. It's insane. And I, I don't get me wrong. I love, I like, I love our specialty and I wouldn't change it for anything because it's so much fun, but they are so much more settled because they've had yet yeah, eight years of repetition of the same thing. And it's like, okay, they went out from dental school where we're like, wow, we still had six, eight years of schooling to go. And they're yeah. like, okay, they're ready to go. Yeah. Very different, it's a very different career and world path, to be honest. Yeah. And I realized they're eight years ahead of us. As you said, work is not a big deal to them anymore. A lot of them either are settled or they're owners or they're happy with their associate positions. They're in a routine. Like they don't even think about it that much anymore. Whereas you and I were thinking, man, we're new to this. What are we going to do? Where are we going to work? How, is this the place that's right for me? Yeah. Like, are yeah. you going to buy like a hundred percent? It's crazy how, how all our friends are in a different phase of life. So it really hit me when I went to this wedding because it was kind of like a dental school reunion. It was actually people that you'll know as well because Patricia Brooks, who was a classmate of mine that did oral pathology, oral medicine at UFT, married Jeff Chadwick, who's a resident at UFT right now in third year. So it's just like a meeting of all these people I knew in dental school. And you just realize everyone's in a different phase than we are. The next thing uh, that we wanted to bring up is that one thing I forgot to mention you know, we were calling people out and making fun of people, but I, I do need to mention about the Nashville conference. There was one night that we were wondering, hey, where's Miller? Where's where's Graham Cobb? Like, uh, we haven't seen them tonight. Are they coming out? So we texted them and it turns out they decided to go to the Harry Styles concert in Nashville. Wow. I didn't know this one. I didn't actually know. So we were all ripping on everybody. <laughs> kind of now, now, the first thing I'm going to say is, okay, they brought their staff down with them from Calgary. Okay. 
and their staff were all dying to go to this you concert. You also mentioned that. Like, well, I, I just per- thought it was the two of yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> I purposely, I purposely didn't mention it first because I wanted everyone to picture just Graham and Miller at That's the Harry I Styles I like, concert. I don't see those two guys going to Harry Styles <laughs> on their own. Okay, now it makes more sense. So they wanted to take their staff out. Probably a super nice thing to do for their That's staff. The staff amazing. were dying to go. But something we just wanted to make fun of them for because we were all out wondering where they were. And they were at a Harry Styles concert. Good on them, though, for showing that appreciation of the staff because I'm sure they all love that. Oh, I'm, I, I bet their staff. Actually, no, I know because they came out afterwards when the concert was done and the staff were like thrilled. They were so happy. So they definitely loved it. Next thing I want to talk about is U of T is having an alumni day. It's on November 6th, Saturday, November. You have Michael Markowitz coming up to give a, a guest lecture. And then in the evening, there's a dinner at Steam Whistle Brewery and a social gathering for everyone and their spouses. It's really, you know, they really market to UFT alumni, but they kind of say anyone else, any other oral surgeons that are interested can come. I'm going, I'm not a UFT alumni. Obviously I'm involved with the program now, but it's, it's gonna be a lot of fun to see everyone. And people are kind of dying for that in-person meeting. And, that, and that's the thing, like the people, like us, all of us who didn't go to Nashville, it does give you a chance to kind of meet up with everybody. Yep, exactly. And you know, the Ozone's meeting that we were supposed to have, unfortunately became virtual only. So people in Ontario are still dying for meeting then. So a good thing for people to think about coming out to and seeing their fellow Ontario surgeons or traveling in to meet people and listen to the presentation. All right, last thing uh, I want to talk about is I gave the Grand Rounds presentation at Laval recently, University of Laval, and we talked previously about how people listen to this podcast, we have power, and one of the funny things we mentioned is, man, it'd be nice to have a CRAMS president that's from Laval because we never had a president from there because we had Alero from Dalhousie. We had me from McGill. We had you from Toronto. We've had Carl that was at Western, Jordan from McGill, like a lot of people from different places, but we never had a Laval. And then, you know, I remember it was like a couple months later, we found out Emily Archambault is like the new upcoming president. We're like, listen, people are listening to us like we have power. So I made the presentation. It was super fun. I was super honored to be invited. And I wanted to go there in person because I wanted to meet the, the staff, meet the residents and see their program because it's, it's a program that we don't get to learn enough about. Kind of like a hidden like that we don't know about. Yeah, exactly. It's a Quebec City, which is very nice too. Unfortunately, I couldn't travel there just because of OR and call and, and clinic scheduling, hopefully next time. But one of the funny things is I gave the presentation that we're doing Q&A and feedback. And one of the residents says, you know, unrelated to this presentation, I just wanted to give a shameless plug no way they used it they used it so i said oh really she's like yeah i'd like to tell all the fellow residents that i listen to teeth and titanium podcast and i think it's really good and this is a shameless plug for the podcast love that resident i've never even met that person but i love that yeah, resident. i haven't met her before either hopefully we met will at the next meeting or something like that what was but, her name i can't remember her name oh my gosh how can you not know her name well she needs to send us an email so that you she can needs, give her a shameless sends, plug on yes air. send us an email but i i do need to justify one thing is it was zoom so everyone has like name and stuff but she was in a room of three residents okay so you don't know which resident is which and also people are wearing masks and things like that but, okay, I haven't but she needs this, to send an email she needs to send an email teeth and titanium omfs at gmail.com reach out to us we'll give you a proper shout out next episode i apologize but yeah, she's like, shameless plug, we listen. Oh, and then, and then, so I already love this resident. I'm like, this is the greatest thing. I wish I could, I couldn't have paid you to do this. And then she goes, and other than the podcast, which I really enjoy, I also want to say that it's mandatory at our program for our first year residents to do MR read and CT read. So how much did you pay her? That's what I'm saying. It's like, who, <laughs> it's like this is like my You're guardian like, angel. You take that resident around everywhere you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she can be a head of PR or something like that amazing good that, that's that's really nice to hear though so that was awesome and it's funny all, all the other residents a lot of them were saying we listen to the podcast really enjoy it thanks and they you know they're giving us shout outs things like that but then uh, robert paquin who's one of the big staff there uh, he's a big orthopedic surgeon as well 
he says he listens to the podcast when he's running. He does long distance running. No way. So he says he really enjoys it. He loves the format, but he listens to it on like, you know, 15 kilometer plus runs. Wow. So he'll, he'll just go for a run and listen to it. I says, listen, it's great that we're entertaining you enough that because I mean, you don't listen to anything when you when you run, which I think is psychotic. I have to listen to like high intensity house music to keep myself motivated to run. We're motivating him to run. Maybe he's on a run right now. You know what? This is his next run right here. If this is his next run, he started. He's probably a kilometer like eight or nine right now thinking, all right, guys, let's go move it along. I'm laughing, but you know, like I need some, need some content and then he hears here. his name and he's like, okay, this was worth it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, big shout out to the Laval residents and staff. Thank, thanks for inviting me and for the feedback. And that's another, for example, we were talking about future guests for sure. We're going to get someone from Laval talk about the program talk about what they do there, you know, give more insight into that program. It's, it's a program we don't know as much about, but it'd be good to have people from other programs too. No, I agree. It's just nice to hear different perspectives. I feel like we both know so much of like, let's say the Ontario programs and McGill because of you mm-hmm. we don't get really that much insight on the other programs. So that's great. Yeah. Manitoba, Dal, Laval, uh, even if someone from Western wanted to come on, that'd be great. All right. That concludes current events. We had a lot to talk about because we had so much to catch up on. It was a busy, busy month, but uh, let's jump into our resident reminder. Okay, Oscar. So big steps here. Resident reminder going forward. You've kind of taken the lead on this and said that this is going to become kind of your baby. Uh, hypothetically, hypothetically. I, I, know I was going to say, those are two big comments. One is, did I say I'm taking the lead? Or you're like, Oscar, I want you to do this. And two, baby. You don't want to say baby stuff around when Lex yeah. around my house because yeah. I get some ideas. <laughs> and you're going to get me in an argument with my new wife. So I don't want to hear that. Exactly. Okay. I, I might have all told you that this is now your, you know, Oscars featured segment. But as you said, life gets busy, work gets busy. And you got to spread that, the wealth a little bit. Spread the wealth. Yeah. So, so talk to us about this week. What can we expect and what do we want to talk about for the resident reminder? So I think the resident reminder for the next probably couple episodes has to do with our last conversation with Miller Smith, which I thought was very, very useful when he talks about how his practice is run. And he's run with kind of the GA setup. And it's something that's core to oral surgery is just sedation and mm-hmm. us having the ability to do it. So for the next couple of weeks, we're just going to talk about some things about sedation. We're going to start really, really easy. These are things that residents need to know. So the first one is common sedation preoperative evaluations. Just so everybody knows, this isn't like the be all end all. These are just the basic ones that you're probably going to be asked on your exam a couple of times. Whenever you had those mock orals or mock boards that we all had in residency, you're probably going to be asked. The chief resident's going to ask you, if you're running a clinic on your own for the first time, the staff's going to, attending's going to ask you, hey, what mm-hmm. is this? What is that? So you should know these. These are simple you're, things. You're guaranteed to be quizzed on this. Guaranteed. Yeah. Like if, if you're not, I'd be very surprised. So this is mm-hmm. more for kind of a junior resident to learn. Not really. It's not going to provide any benefit for seniors enough. So the first one is just your patient ASA classification. First of all, what is the ASA classification? It stands for the American Society of Anesthesiologists Physical Status Classification. So there are six classes and you have to know them. One, class one, healthy patient. Two, mild systemic disease without limitation to daily activity, let's say controlled hypertension. Three, severe systemic disease that limits activity but doesn't incapacitate patients, let's say COPD. Four, incapacitating systemic disease that is a constant threat to life, let's say HF. Five, patient who's not expected to survive the next 24 hours without surgery. And then six, a declared brain dead patient whose organs are being removed for donor purposes. And this isn't a be all and end all. This is to add to your medical history. And you're going to get this classification from the medical history that you are taking from the patient, which is obviously super important if you're going to be doing any outpatient sedation or when you're going to be on the anesthesia team during your residency. 
So we have this on our, for everyone that in, in my private practice, when we're doing a sedation case, we always have the ASA classification that we say kind of at the, at the beginning of the sedation. Do you guys do something similar to that as well? We do. And we have it kind of on our anesthesia form so that like when the nurses are filling it out, they kind of ask where they put it on the anesthesia form of what we, what we have for the classification. And realistically, in a private practice, it's not that difficult because you're not dealing with four, five, sixes. There, there's no chance. Or you know yeah. what? Maybe there is, but I don't know what practice you're running. No, I think actually in the, in the sedation guidelines from the RCDSO, they really recommend like it should be one or two. Exactly. Yeah. Should be one and two, really. Three, maybe. It depends on what it is and kind of the and that's physical the thing. status and are, are, of the are you running a GA maybe that day and it's like you're bringing a medical team in or an anesthesiologist? So that's a little bit different. That's why I said maybe threes or I didn't cut it off at two, but it really it should be one and twos. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's um, usually what we do as well. Okay, good. So that, that like, I like that it's kind of consistent. And again, you're going to be asked this. The second thing that you want to know, so you know the patient's overall health, you give them a classification for that, is the other thing that's really important to us is their airway evaluation. Probably the most because important thing. It is. Like after, after their overall health, what's the next one's event? Their airway evaluation, because that's what you're going to be compromising potentially. And so when you do that as a junior resident, what are you looking for? You're looking for the ability for neck extension and flexion. You're looking for their neck circumference their thyroid mental distance, and their melampathy classification. That's further subdivided into four classes. So melampathy one is you're able to visualize the soft, visualize the soft palate, the fossa, the uvula, the anterior and posterior tonsillar pillars. So two is the same thing, except that the anterior and posterior tonsillar pillars are now hidden by the tongue. Mm-hmm. Class three is that you can now only see the soft palate and the uvula, which are visible. Okay, and so four is where the soft palate cannot be seen. And so yeah, it's, it's can be seen. pretty much hard palate, maybe a bit of the soft palate, but you're pretty yeah. much just seeing hard palate when you look at yeah, it. You're being nitpicky. Like you're going to see a little bit, you're not going to count it. Exactly. So those are really important. We, so for our sedation cases, again, once again, we always document which malampathic classification they are. Do you do that as well? We do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then like and even the, on our exams, we have, we have a section for melon, like in, in my template notes, we have a section for it. Okay. Nice. So what, what, what the residents need to realize is the whole point of the airway evaluation is to think how hard is it going to be to do your rescue maneuvers? If something goes wrong, how easy is it to fix it? Exactly. So, for example, neck extension and flexion. Well, the first thing you're going to do if someone's desatting all the times is chin lift, jaw thrust. And, well, and I wouldn't say likely. That is the first thing you're going to do. You're yeah. going to ask your nurse, grab the airway. Yeah, exactly. So if they can't flex or extend their neck, that's gone. <laughs> like you, you've lost your biggest tool, you, tool and, right there. And that fixes what, like seventy percent of the time, eighty oh, percent time that fixes. It's it, funny because like, like, like so many, like it's like time? oh, patients desetting. You literally just Stop. extend yeah. their, their neck, and that's it. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's what you're trying to figure out is how difficult is their airway when it comes to doing your rescue maneuvers. And, and when you're talking about rescue, you're talking anywhere from let's say, like you just said, a chin lift or a neck extension to something as intubating, right? Mm-hmm. So all of these rescue maneuvers are incorporated in what we're looking at here in this evaluation of the airway. Yeah, and a good thing maybe for the residents to do is Google malampathic classification and put the image up and then kind of rewind and listen to Oscar's description because you'll be able to visualize it a lot better as well. It's way easier if you see the picture. And so that would I would say when we're talking about just very, very basic, you're a junior resident, you're going to your first sedation clinic and you want to know some classifications or you want to know some assessments that you need to know, I would say that your overall health one, which is your ASA, and then your airway evaluation, which is your melampathy and all the other four things that we talked about. And then just one strict rule, whenever you're going to be running your sedations, if you're, let's say you're doing your consults for the first time in your clinic, you got to let your patients know there's some preoperative, preoperative fasting recommendations. So mm-hmm. for foam meals, eight hours, breast milk, four hours, clear liquids, two hours. 
and any medication with sips with small sips of waters up to an hour before procedure. Yeah. So it used to be everyone just said, Oh, NPO eight hours, can you eat or drink for eight hours? But remember, like the technically the actual, you know, legal and, and, and proper guidelines are eight for full meal or fatty meal. Sometimes they say six for like light meal, but they always give like that, you know, toast, I think. Exactly. With, How yeah. do you define that to a patient? Like that, that yeah. becomes hard, which is why I don't even include it, to be honest with you. Me, me, me too. It's just too confusing. For the breastfeeding mothers, they always want to know. So breast milk is four hours. Clear liquids is two hours. And the way that works is you have to be able to see through it. It's so like water, Gatorade, yeah. uh, juice without pulp. They always say that, oh, there's orange juice, but Yeah, like pulp. that's key, without pulp. Yeah, without Wait, pulp. I hate pulp anyway. I love pulp. Oh, you're gross. I get the extra pulp one on from Tropicana. If you got me the extra pulp one, I would like give it back. I'm like, I'm not drinking this. I'm going to bring an extra pulp to your house so that every time I show up to record the podcast, I know I have juice ready to go. Because <laughs> I'll never drink it. It'll be in my fridge for sure. Actually, now it, we're, we're digressing, but I got another question. What percentage milk do you drink? Uh, we drink 1%. Even that's gross for me. It has to be skim milk. Really? Yeah. If I yeah. said 2%, you're going to lose oh your mind. Oh my God. If you said 2%, I'd, I'd cut the podcast off. I'm like, we're done talking. I do 1% milk and then I do uh, 10% for the coffee cream, like 10% creamer. So you have a stick of butter in your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then medication with sips of water. Yeah. One hour before. Because a lot of patients always ask like, oh, I take medications. And what you don't want to do is give the NPO guidelines and then they don't take their meds because they're like, you said I couldn't drink. But it's funny you say that because it, it acts like you... It sounds like a joke, but that, that happens all the time in private practice. All like, the time. We'll get a call be like, oh, can I still take my medication? I'm like, yes. Take all your yeah. medication that I'm allowing you to take. Obviously, you'll go over some things that you maybe want them to hold, but everything mm -hmm. that you want to take, you want them to having. Exactly. Great. So that concludes our resident reminder. Nice little intro to preoperative anesthetic assessment. This is a theme that you know we, we want to continue for a couple of episodes because it's so important and they're going to be asked about it all the time. And everyone does anesthesia off-service rotations, so you want to look good when you go do those rotations. Yep, I agree. So now let's jump into our journal club. Okay, Oscar, so for journal club for this month, you know, you had a little bit of a gripe because I sent you like 75 articles to read. You went crazy. I was like, I'm like, did you just become the editor-in-chief? What's going on here? <laughs> so it was weird. You know, we have drive months that we've, we've talked about before. This was a great month. There were so many articles that we could have chose. So rather than, I mean, we're only going to go over one in detail and one kind well, of theme in detail. You chose, what did you choose, six? I think so. Yeah, six. Maybe one or two could have been left off. <laughs> well, no, okay, wait. To be fair, I chose six and one or two of them were either going to laugh about or criticize, to be fair. Okay, then there we go. Okay, then that's fine. I'm okay yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm not saying we would have chosen these for our deep dive all six, but it was a great <laughs> month. It was a great okay. month. So the first one I want to talk about, speaking of hating on an article, is changes in emergency patient presentation to a maxillofacial surgery department during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, this is by Lent and Etal from Germany. The whole group is from Germany. And listen, I get that it's tough to, to write a paper and go through all the hard work and process. You know, the purpose of their article was to examine possible changes in the emergency patient volume and reasons for presentation to an oral surgery department during COVID pandemic. And my question is just why? Why do we need to measure this or care? We, I, I, without reading the article, I could say it probably went down because less people are doing things. There's less trauma. Maybe you had more infection. There's less bar fights. There's less social events and people are redirected towards COVID. So like, why do we need a paper on this? So you know what? I will say for the first time when it comes to Journal Club, I think we disagree. 
Really? Yeah. And so this was not one of the ones I was going to hate on from the title. I think the article itself wasn't great, mm-hmm. but the title actually actually had me intrigued in the sense that I agree with you. I think we would we all kind of know the direction of what was going to happen. But I do think it, it was good if it was done well, it would be to highlight that maybe some patients aren't coming in and we're missing some things because of COVID. We focused on COVID so much for this last year and a half that maybe some things are being missed or being mistreated, kind of just like you've seen the NFL campaign with, co- with cancer screening. Yeah. Right? We're, and I thought maybe that's what they were going to go with this article. So with the title, I was like, oh, this, I'm interested. As I read the article, I, I lost some interest. But I would say that's the first time we probably disagreed on something off the bat. I, I'm shocked. I thought we'd, we'd for sure be on the same page. I mean, the results where we found the number of patients in 2020 was significantly lower. Okay, yeah. That, that wasn't surprising. And then... Conclusion, the results of the study suggest that COVID-19 pandemic has important effects on the use of emergency services concerning, concerning oral and maxillofacial surgery in Germany. It's just like, I know, I get it. And maybe I'm being too much of a hater here, but it's just like... No, no. I, so yeah. I'm just saying, I like the title. I did not actually like the execution of the article. I think that you had potential to this. Yeah. I think if you had, okay, how many fractures came in delayed? Like, instead of presenting right off yeah. the bat, they presented five weeks and had adverse events. Because oh, of beautiful. That'd be amazing. So that's what I thought this was going to kind of deal with. And it wasn't, it was just like, we saw less patients. COVID has infected the amount of patients we're seeing. I'm like, well, that's, that, that's kind of useless. Yeah. So, yeah. so we ended at the same result. We didn't start at the same place. We, we didn't start at the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Not interesting to know. All right. Next one briefly want to talk about is, is arthroscopic disc repositioning equally efficacious to open disc repositioning a systematic review? So love this because this is literally one of the biggest debates that people talk about is disc repositioning via arthroscopy via or, or open surgery. And to be clear, this isn't solving anything, but, but it is one of the biggest debates we're going to have. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So this is by Askar et al. And, you know, a team of a dental student, professor from Michigan, some people from Harvard and Boston. Uh, a group of uh, different uh, surgeons that worked on this paper. Impressive group, actually. You know, you got Aronovich from Michigan. You got Christensen, who was at uh, is at LSU. Nice guy. You got McCain, uh, Mohakim. So it's an impressive group of people. So the results, both arthroscopic and open disc repositioning showed to be efficacious in reducing pain and increasing MIO. So they looked at good outcome variables. Due to the heterogeneity in study designs and data reporting between the studies, no quantitative analysis was performed and the groups were not directly compared. And that's what I mean. Like, it's an argument, but it's not going to solve anything because of what you kind of just said right there. Yeah. So their conclusion is both arthroscopic and open disc repositioning led to significant improvements in clinical outcomes. This study highlights the need for comparative studies of the two techniques with well-documented case selection, including standard diagnosis based on will. So this is another one I'm thinking... I like the idea. I like the article. I disagree with what they're saying. I don't think we need more research on this. I think this has already kind of shown that, listen, both work. And the reality is, is people are doing arthroscopy because it's minimally invasive and they have the skill set to do it. And people are doing open because they don't know how to do arthroscopy. Yeah. And so that's what I was going to say. I think there will always be a place for both because if you're saying you can't do open because arthroscopy is minimally invasive, well, it's like, well, if not that many people can do it, what are you doing with all those patients? You're yeah. just going to make them put them on a wait list. So if, if, if the results are good either way, then allow people to do it either way. Yeah. And, and, and to be clear, I think we'd both agree if the results are the same and you, and a patient had to choose between the two, obviously we'd want them to have arthroscopy. Like yeah. I would want that if, as a patient. If the person doing the arthroscopy 
can do it well. <laughs> yeah, can do it. Yeah, no, can, no one can achieve the same <laughs> result. I don't yeah. want Oscar yeah. or myself pulling up an arthroscope without supervision. No, no. <laughs> just going or else, for it. or else you're playing video games with someone's joint. Like, let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, we want someone properly trained like these people are. Next article is orthopedic surgery past present future by jeff posnick these are like kind of like little perspective articles where they're not like research articles they just talk about things. they're kind of so, interesting to read though yeah they're kind of nice i liked it yeah, they talk yeah, about the I past the present the future so i liked that article the only problem that i had with it was this line here so it says in the fact in the past few years technology has had a major impact on the surgeon's skill and experience gap first by eliminating the laborious art laborious sorry laborious art of dental lab-based model planning and splint construction and more recently with the manufacturing of patient-specific osteotomy guides and osteosynthesis plates, avoiding the need for a splint altogether. Patient-specific fixation plates can be used routinely to position and secure bone segments in the optimal locations. So although I totally agree with this first part, where getting rid of model surgery and the laborious nature of the lab has made it much easier to do oral surgery, much less time-consuming, and much you know, more accurate and, and, and much easier for us as a practitioner. I don't agree that routine use of custom fixation is necessary or patient-specific implants. They're extremely expensive. There's no real major literature that shows it's better than stock fixation for your routine orthognathic case. And, and did, he, did he say routine was warranted or that it provides a benefit? I don't know if he was, maybe I misread it, what he was saying. The way I read it was he was saying that, you know, getting things out of the lab saved a lot of time and then having patient specific implants and cutting guides also removed the training gap that you need to perform successful orthopedic surgery because this is going to start guiding and positioning things very accurately, which I'm like, I don't agree with that at all. Okay. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess not in, in that sense. I would agree with that. I, I maybe read it as in, oh, it's another benefit that we're getting from them. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Like, do I think every case warrants it? No, like you just said, it's absolutely does not warrant it. But would it be a benefit if it was a free world and you could do this all the time? Yeah, it wouldn't be a benefit. That's what I thought he was getting at. But if you read it your way, then I would agree with you. The other thing I will say that I liked is it is true where he say where he calls young eager surgeons. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I think there is something to say about experience in orthognathic surgery and just like probably any major surgery. I think where he's saying, or, or I like where he's saying, you know, where you have these virtual ways of learning, it would provide a way for maybe you to increase or shorten that learning gap and, sh and increase your experience without really having to do as many surgeries on live patients. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the, one of the big shows that we watched, Drive to Survive, before mm -hmm. the only way you got experience in a Formula One car is driving a Formula One car. No, now they, they are sims. all in simulators. Yeah. All of them. All, all the, the young time. guys. Yeah. Right? So I do think that might be something to look at in the future of our training where, you know what, you can't cut 150 sages, let's say, in your program. Maybe you're not orthognathic heavy, but you can do 3,000 of them on your simulator. Yeah. yeah. Right? It'll shorten your gap. Especially if it has like tactile feedback and things like that. I know Daniel Bookbinder in the States is like really big on kind of virtual um, training and things like that. He made a presentation on that. Another thing I really like that he said is that challenges of strategy in orthopedic surgery will remain. So he's talking about the difficulty of new trainees, these young surgeons they talked about becoming masters. And of the four things that you have to master in orthopedic surgery, only one of the four points is like operating room efficiency and surgical technique. All the other three were treatment planning and, and proper diagnosis and understanding the facial complex and what movements do what. I really like that he kind of stressed that, listen, you're going to be able to operate and you're going to learn that eventually. But if you have a bad plan, if you have a bad plan, you're going to have a bad outcome. Yeah. It doesn't matter how slick you are at the cuts. If you planned it incorrectly, it's going to look horrible. 
Exactly. So that was a nice article as well. And just like an interesting thing to read, these like little perspectives. They're kind of like in the newspaper where they have letters to the editor. People give their opinion. You can agree or disagree. That's not the important part. The important thing is it stimulates your mind, stimulates a discussion. It makes you think about, oh, do you agree with them or do you disagree with them? Yep, exactly. I agree. All right, Austin, next one. This might be one of the ones that you were laughing about. I put this in purely just so we could laugh about it. Not, not laugh at the article itself, but just like the funny thing that this is like a real thing in the world that I didn't really know about. Pogo sticks and maxillofacial injuries. This is a the review one. review <laughs> of 619 head and neck injuries. This is a 20-year cross-sectional study by Stan Bully and Chuang. is a dental student from New York and a clinical professor from uh, UPenn. So a total of 619. Just before you continue, though, don't get me wrong. I think research is great. I think that they move a profession or a specialty forward, right? You have to, but what is this? <laughs> like, I, I, and, then, and now we can continue. A total of 619 pogo stick injuries were included with 96.1% under 18 years of age laceration was the most common primary diagnosis. Their conclusion was, despite the decline in popularity of pogo sticks over the last two decades, all remaining riders should wear a helmet as religiously as bicycles or scooter riders to protect against skull fractures. So the first thing I want to know is, I have never seen a pogo or someone use a pogo. And I didn't realize, like, this is a thing with the youth. Like, do, do young kids still use pogo sticks? Have you ever seen one? I've never seen one in person. Yeah, I didn't realize this was a big... But dude, I guess it's 20 years, so 619 injuries over 20 years. But remember, not everyone that used one got injured. So I feel like it's a lot of pogo stick users. Like, who's using this? And why do they use that versus... I mean, you're hopping around, but like, I feel like a scoot, a bike or a scooter would be more fun. Yeah, I've seen a lot of scooters. I've seen tons of scooters, but I'm not a pogo person. I just thought this was hilarious. And you know what? We might get a ton of feedback saying, like, you guys are crazy. Pogo sticks are amazing. But yeah. I don't but see that happening. Parents with, like, teenagers might reach us and be like, listen, kids love pogo sticks. So we might be the ones that are out on a loop here. But I included that just because it was hilarious. I didn't realize they published on that. And I had no idea people still use pogo sticks or use them at all. Yeah. Like, honestly, when I read that article, I was like, this is crazy. That's like asking, like, what's the injury or, like, thumb injuries with marbles? <laughs> yeah. Like I was like, what is the use of this? I don't understand it. Or crazy bones. Remember crazy bones? I don't know if you ever read that. The crazy bones toy. Yeah, yeah. Like wrist injuries due to mar playing marbles. <laughs> yeah, that's a retrospective study by Oscar Dalmeo. Yeah, like that's never gonna happen. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, moving along. Now this one is it's called Simply Put, Jameis Information for Patients. And this one was on temporomandibular joint disorders by Ellie Fernani. Okay, what did you um, think about this before you continue? I really like this. I feel like I you didn't like this. it. Oh, okay, I, I, I was I like, love this. I was like, I hope this isn't one you hated on because no, I loved this. And by the way, just for the listeners, as always in the show notes, we put links to every article, so you can go, you can download, you can agree with us, disagree with us. But I loved this. Basically, it's like they pick a topic and they make a little two-page handout that you can then use in your private practice or convert it. For your patients. This was it's, perfect. It's amazing. I want to post this on our website. Yeah. It's like there's two, two pages explaining what temporomandibular joint disorders are and what the normal treatment is and what your oral surgeon will do. Like, I love it. And it, honestly, it, it's educational to the patient saying, you know what? Most of the times I'm going to go see my oral surgeon. I'm actually not going to be a candidate to be a patient of theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Like it even states it. In the, I thought it was really well done. I really like that. Also, you can tell the journal loved it because it says at the bottom, this article was received on July 7th of this year, and it was accepted on July 7th. 
<laughs> have you ever heard of that when it comes to that razors? Is, that's they, impressive. I didn't actually catch that. That's they took impressive. one day. Now, granted, this person is a section editor. So maybe they are approving their own article. I don't know. But either way, I would have approved it in a day also. It I took thought it was one crazy. day for them to realize yeah. this article is amazing. So really love that. Everyone should check that out and maybe adapt that to their private practice uh, literature. All right. So those were all the funny ones that we wanted to talk about and just kind of briefly mention. As we said, there were tons of articles to mention. The only one we want to talk about in a little more detail here is another perspectives article. And this is more just to generate conversation. So it's called Dual Degree Training, Balancing Clinical Aptitude and Medical Licensure Requirements. It's by uh, a number of authors, Ganjuala, Jazeri, Mo, and Tannehill. And they're comprised of residents as well as an assistant professor and residency program director out of Ann Arbor. Michigan's program, and then also a residency program director in Boston at Harvard. Nice. So the nice thing about this is what they're talking about is what is the current state of four-year and six-year programs, specifically six-year programs and medical licensure requirements? I found this one interesting. Very interesting. Shows a problem that's coming up. Yeah, and it wasn't just a debate. Is it four or six-year or better? It, it, I thought it was. I thought I, I really enjoyed this article. Yeah. So just to bring people up to speed, because you might not realize what's going on is. The main accrediting body for dental specialty training programs, including OMFS in the States, is the Commission on Dental Accreditation, CODA. But the graduate medical programs are accredited by the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education, so ACGME. Yeah, there's just long. <laughs> yeah, there's just long. So you have these two competing, well, not competing, you have these two bodies that are regulating each kind of profession or specialties, which would be fine. But guess what? We have this unicorn oral surgery that's part of both. So there's a national trend towards increasing medical licensure requirements set by state licensing boards from one year of postgraduate ACGME training to three years. So while off-service rotations are essential to meet medical licensure requirements, there is a concern that increasing off-service rotations at the expense of OMFS rotations within a constrained six-year curriculum is detrimental to dual-degree OMFS trainees. So what they're saying here is normally you'd have a six-year program and you do one year off service. So off service would be your anesthesia, general surgery, trauma, IC, all that stuff. So that's like comparable to the four-year off service. Exactly. And that would qualify as your ACGME one-year credit. So when you graduate, you can get an oral surgery license, you can get a dental license from your dental training, and you can get a medical license. Because remember, in the States, it's different. A lot of states, they say if you do that one year you're eligible for medical licensure. So when I went to North Carolina and I worked in North Carolina and South Carolina, I got a medical license. Which is different. I didn't use a dental license when I was down there for my fellowship. I got an unrestricted medical license, meaning I had met the requirements for my AC Jimmy training, so my off-service training. And I had an unrestricted medical license, meaning I could operate and prescribe and function as a medical physician with a medical license in those two states. If I'd gone to some other states, I wouldn't have had an, enough years. And in Canada, we're not able to obtain medical licensure without doing a medical residency. As of right now, obviously, the, you know, these are the things that have been talked about and working on, but that's the state right now in Canada. So most dual degree OMFS programs incorporate at least one year of general surgery into the curriculum, usually completed at the PGY1, PGY2 level, depends on you know, the six-year program, how it works. For the single degree resident, the general surgery rotation is variable length, often less than six months, and gives the trainee exposure to intensive care unit and complex perioperative patient management. This is another big difference is, you know, we had our off-service year that had a little bit of general surgery trauma, but a lot of it was, you know, anesthesia, ICU, and the other things we talked about, electives. 
in the States, a lot of times they do one year straight of general straight. surgery. And I was about to ask you that because again, I didn't go to a six year. So I went to a four year. I was going to say, cause your off service year sounds very similar to our off service year. And I thought you would have had more of a dedicated gen surgery. And I, I guess I didn't realize that you didn't. No, we got really lucky. It varies from institution to institution. Luckily at McGill, uh, the way the six year program was designed is you do the absolute minimum medical school possible that you need to. So 24 months two years of med school, a uh, year three and year four, pretty much a little bit of the end of year two. And your off service year is similar to yours, which is multiple different rotations with different departments. And that counts as your one year of general surgery training. Whereas in the States, sometimes they have one full year of general surgery, sometimes two years of full year general surgery. Which and then an insane. off service year. Yeah. Which is, yeah. sounds terrible. I know at other six year programs in Canada, you know, Western and Dallas are a little bit similar where they do all four years of medical school. So they have to kind of work in oral surgery into after hours or in the summer months or electives or reading me stuff like that just to make up the the time to make sure they meet all the requirements so it varies program to program but the issue is you know for the ACGME for licensure eligibility it was historically one year but now nearly 40 percent of states require two years or more of this postgraduate training to obtain medical licensure and some are requiring three years so like if you got a six-year program and three of them <laughs> yeah you're just doing your gen surge certification like come on so the way they're saying these other people do is, for example, plastics and ENT, they'll do, you know, for example, one year off service or one year general surgery, and then they'll do four years of plastics or ENT, but their plastics or ENT, because it's getting credit through ACGME, all those years count. So some of them will just do, you know, four and a half years of plastics and six months of general surgery because they're already meeting that requirement for ACGME. It's not an issue. So basically they're trying to say, how is this going to affect OMFS? And the way it'll affect OMFS is that Either you're going to increase the program length because you're going to incorporate the general surgery years, but then have to add more years to get enough oral surgery training, or you're going to keep it six years, but you're either not going to get, you're not going to get medical licensure, or you're going to do less of oral surgery training. Or lastly, what you said, the solution that they're trying to say is maybe oral surgery on service time needs to be accredited for ACGME as well. And I think that makes sense. Yeah, that seems to be the number one solution would be would be, uh, and they even say this, you know, a joint accreditation between the ACGME and CODA, and that would pretty much solve all the problems. We'll see how things go. The challenge is- is difficult to change. Politics is different. There's substantial barriers, they say, including administrative burden, resident work hour limitations. Um, but there are many oral surgery programs that have found it feasible to meet work hour limitations that are often mandated at the hospital level. So that's one thing in the US is they have work hour limitations. You know, for example, a resident can't work more than, I don't know, 40 hours a week, 45 hours a week, or they can't be on call two weekends in a and row. And they're pretty strict. They're very strict about it. In Canada, we don't have that. It's like, there's no post-call. <laughs> the hours are the hours. Especially on OMFS service, because on other services, there is that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you do other services, sometimes it's shift-based or there's hour restrictions. But when you come back on service, they're like, Oscar, I don't care if you're up till three in the morning operating. Like, where are you in clinic? There's no, there's no <laughs> post-call. Yeah, I don't care if you're up to 3 a.m. listening to the podcast. You got to come operate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So something interesting to watch going forward. There's a lot of people in Canada talking about medical licensure requirements and working on that as well in Canada. But I like that they're addressing this early and trying to get ahead of this because this is becoming a slippery slope in the U.S. I mean, you cannot have three years of general surgery requirements for oral surgery. That's nuts. Yeah. Or else what are these or people are like, why am I doing this? Not getting yeah. any benefit. Yeah, exactly. So. Anyways, that concludes our journal club. A lot of articles that we wanted to talk about, but I think some really good discussion and generates a lot of maybe feedback that people want to give us on if they agree with us, disagree with us. And I really hope if they use a pogo stick, I was just going to say, I hope at least one person <laughs> reaches us saying, you guys are crazy. 
Pogos are amazing. My kids love them. Changes your life. Changes your life. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right, let's jump into our last section of recommendations. Okay, Oscar. So one of our favorite segments of the episode is our recommendations, where we recommend either, you know, TV, movies, uh, books, lifestyle stuff. And we do get a lot of feedback that people try out the TV show. They listen to the to the podcast we recommend or the music we recommend or the or the some some of them are even reading books. You hated me for my books, but I've already had three people say they bought the book that I recommend and they're reading it. I wasn't hating you for books. Like, I should clarify that. I love that people can that people read and do that. I just don't do it myself. But I told you this is the one time. Just try it once. I know, and I wish I actually did it more. So, like, if I if I sound like I was hitting on that, that's not. I'm gonna get you this book. I'm gonna I'm gonna get you this book. This will be the first book you're gonna read in a long time, and this will be the determinant if you enjoyed the experience of reading it or if you didn't like it. If you didn't like it, great. But at least you tried. I'm okay we hate that. on the old school people for refusing to try new things. No, that's why. I'm, so I'm okay you, with that. So you got to try. So I'm going to get you this book. But uh, what's your recommendation this week? So mine is, and it's kind of the process. So I know we kind of hate doing in-process recommendations because we haven't seen the final episode or Yeah, because did like you that. finish the last one that you recommended last time? The 911 show? 911 show? I did actually finish it. And it was okay. Oh, so this uh, is the problem. Yeah, you recommended yeah. the last episode yeah. so and now you're hating on it. No, no, I'm not hating it. It was good. But like I'm, when I recommend, sometimes I think of how I think like the show and then how when I watch it with Lex, how did she like it? She loved it at the beginning yeah. and didn't like it as it tapered off because it came a little bit more historical. I still really enjoyed it. But if you're taking both our perspective, it's now an okay show. You just take okay. mine. I would say it's pretty good. I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like I don't think you were going to. So my new show is, and it's for, especially people who listen to podcasts, you probably already heard this podcast. It's Dr. Death. Oh, you're watching the TV show? I, I am watching the TV show. Okay, I have, uh, I've listened to the podcast, but I've never seen the show. Okay, so if you listen to the podcast, maybe you won't like it as much. That's what I've been hearing a little bit. I did not listen to the podcast before. Oh, so, so you're going to love it then probably. So I listened to the podcast in the sense secondhand. And Lex had told me about this last year. Like this podcast is awesome because she's a big podcast person. She mm-hmm. listened to it. She's like, it sounds crazy. All of a sudden the show comes out. We start watching it. So I knew kind of what it was about, but I didn't really know the details. I love the show. I think it's awesome so far. About this neurosurgeon in the States, I'm not, who does some crazy things to people and hopefully no one uh, listening who was ever his patient, but I won't say any more so I can let I mean, it's called Dr. Death. I don't think exactly. it was like, he was like giving like, you know, great it, results. It, exactly. So you can, you can watch it on your own or you can listen to the podcast. I would say that's my recommendation. Yeah, I've listened to the podcast. Yeah, I enjoyed the podcast. Yeah, it was a little bit too long. I thought it could have been shorter. It was a little bit dragged on. That's what I heard too from like a bunch of people that it just dragged on a little bit longer than it should have. Yeah, exactly. All right, so that's your recommendation. My, you know, turn, I'm actually giving an anti-recommendation. Oh, Oh, that's harsh. Yeah, we watch a lot of content. We try and, you know, bring our listeners good content, but I need to hate on something. That's the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. It's terrible. Oh, it's terrible. Well, that, saved, and that saved me some money because I was going to go to the theater to watch it. Like, theaters that, are open I went to the theaters to watch it. I wanted to watch it on the big screen. And I'm someone that likes James Bond. And I think Casino Royale, when Daniel Craig started, was one of the best Bond movies. I loved it. I thought it was so good. And I think he's a good Bond. I think every single Bond movie since Casino Royale has been terrible. I thought Casino Royale was amazing. I thought Quantum of Solace was one of the worst ever. I thought Spectre was bad. So you're pretty I hardcore though. Skyfall you know, was bad. You know them like off by hand. Yeah, I watched them and I just really didn't enjoy them. And I went, No Time to Die is his last movie as Bond. I was really, really pumped for it. I was hoping it would kind of, you know, finish on a high note and change my mind. And it was terrible. Okay, good to know. That's off my uh, list. I, 
So I don't recommend anyone watch that. And that would be my anti-recommendation. I'm sure some people might like it, might not like it, but the general consensus that I'm hearing from people that have seen it is they didn't enjoy it either. And the five people that I went with, no one enjoyed it. Okay, because I was gonna say I want to hear feedback because for sure we're gonna get feedback on that. I feel, and if people are like, "It's amazing," gonna be like, "I'm never listening to Wendell again." <laughs> yeah, we're putting we're putting our reputation on the line. Yeah. All right, so that concludes this episode of Teeth and Titanium. Thanks for hanging in with us. If you'd like to reach out to us and give us some feedback or be featured on the show, email us at teethandtitaniumomfs at gmail.com. and we will see you guys next time. Take care, guys.